one of the joys of uh, pastoring this church is the diversity of, of ages and the age ranges within the church where we can have these discussions about family life and body life and loving one another well. And one of the things that, that I love is just that. <laughs> I love the, the squeals and the cries of, of babies even in the midst of the service because it shows that we're, as, as moms and dads, we're, we're bringing up our children in the right way and having them in the in the right place uh, in, in hopes and prayers that the Lord uh, sees to it to bring them to Himself. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to continue in, in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking specifically this morning at verses 3 through 8. And I want to begin this morning uh, by just taking a, a short period of time and, and talking about how the gospel changes everything. The gospel, the death the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. That if you have placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and have asked Him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says He is faithful and just to do that. And not only that, but He sends the Holy Spirit to us to help and to lead us and to guide us. And so this gospel not only transforms us and brings us into the kingdom, but this gospel that, that brings us into the kingdom continues to change us throughout our life. And it affects everything about us. And so, as Paul is making this transition in this letter to the church in Rome, where he's laid out for us in 11 chapters this great theology of um, the gospel, and now he's switching and he's giving us commands on how to do life together, uh, we have to remember at the core of all of these messages, at the core, at the bottom, at the, ro the rock, the foundation of all this is this gospel message. And so, you, you know, I would ask the question, why are you here this morning? Why belong to a church? Why do this church thing? And I want to propose to you that if it weren't for the gospel, it might be pretty silly that you would be here this morning. It might be pretty silly that on a weekly basis that you're dedicating yourself to the person that's next to you in the seats next to you. But the gospel changes things. And what we're going to see this morning is that the gospel calls us into a community. It calls us into a body. It calls us into a family where we are to be together. And the main point that we're going to see from our text is that the the Holy Spirit, God, gives us different gifts so that when we come together, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout our week, as we do life together, that we are each equipped with different gifts and that these gifts are given to us so that we can give them to other people, so that we can be together, together, we function in a way that God wants us to function. Uh, the, the tagline that you're going to hear again at the end of this sermon is that as we do this, as we do body life together, that what it looks like in you and me should be that we should be, number one, full of humility, that we should be fueled by faith. That's what propels us is faith. And, and that all that is done for the benefit of others. So as we end, we're going to see 
uh, hopefully this come clearly into focus. So the first thing that I want us to see from this text is that we need each other and that this is God's design. In other words, um, you know, I don't know if you hear this, but I hear it a lot that I feel closest to God where? Well, you could fill in a bunch of blanks there. Nature, the golf course. Uh, the, the newer phenomenon uh, is, has, been, um, uh, has been YouTube, you know, that uh, I don't need the church. I sit at home and watch preachers on YouTube and, you know, Lewis, they're way better than you anyway. And so this is, this is my church. And what I want you to see is that God, God's design is for us to be together. That those things, being a Christian in isolation, just you and God, is not God's design for you. That we need one another. Let me read these verses again, and I want you to hear this in this metaphor of the body. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body... And all the members don't have the same function. So that we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That what we see is a very clear picture is what Paul is telling the church at Rome and what Paul is telling us through his word is that we need one another. We can't function as a Lone Ranger Christian in this world. Not according to the purpose that God would have for us. And so this imagery of the body comes back to tell us of this, right? The, the way that I like to think about this is that if you had an eyeball and no brain, it doesn't work. A, a lot of times what you'll hear, and, and then people make dumb arguments from this, but I'll, I'll say it as well, is that if you have an eye, but you don't have a hand, it doesn't work very well. And some people say, yeah, but it works. But not according to the purpose that God has for us. God wants us to be a fully functioning body uh, that gives glory and honor to Him. So an example in the church would be something like this. If you have a person who, let's just take one of the gifts mentioned here, who has the gifts of service, that is, they, they serve and they serve well. And that's the gift that they have, and that's the gift that God has given them. If they don't have any money, they can't serve. If they don't have any way to get to the people to serve, they can't serve. If they don't have uh, some administrative skills to set things up to be able to serve, it doesn't work very well. So we need one another to pull off um, what God would have us to do. So we need each other is the first point. The second point that I want you to see is in verse 4 and 5, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time here, but I want you to notice the unity and diversity uh, is is what marks the body. Look at verse 4 and 5, and, and here, as Paul is talking about unity and diversity. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, you see that diversity, 
So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Notice that in this text it says that we are one body. We are unified. And there are two things when Paul talks about unity here. The first thing and the most important thing is that we are united in Christ. We're united in Christ. Verse 5, we're united in one body in Christ. The, the way that a lot of pastors and commentators like to talk about this is that Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church. And we, as members of the church, are united together, first of all, in Christ, in that our only entrance into the body is through Christ, but also all the gifts that we have come through Him. And, and not only are, are we united as Christ is our head and our gifts come through Him, but we're also united in our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. So we have one body. We're united as Christ is our head and everything flows through Him. He is the source of life and He unites us in our purpose. So we're not only united that way, but also notice in the text, in verse 5, we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and we're also individually members of one another. And so the second thing that unites us, and we've already mentioned this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but notice the thing that unites us is that we are members of one another. That God sees us as, as a body, as together, and so we are united in that as well. That we're interrelated and we're interdependent upon one another to function properly. So there's one body. There's unity here with Christ as a head. The second thing we see from this text and under this point is the diversity. The diversity. We don't all have the same function. Look at verse 4. For just as we are many members in one body and all members, we don't have the same Function. Look at verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so, yes, there is unity, but within that unity, there is diversity. Now, look around. And if you know people very well here, if you look around, one of the things that you're going to see is that the person next to you is quite different than you are. The person next to you have, has different no, not challenges, has different gifts. The person next to you has a different function within the body. There's a diversity among us. That is good. When Paul was writing to the church at Rome, if you think about it, there, it was a pretty diverse group. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were educated, there were uneducated, there were rich, there were poor, there were differing gifts. And what Paul was telling his audience is, is that you need one another. That God has brought you from different places, from different backgrounds, and given you different gifts, so that this body can function better together than if you were separate. Now, there was a quote by one commentator that I, I really like, and so I'm going to use his quote, and then I want to uh, talk about each one of these separately. But he says this, Unity without diversity is death. Unity without diversity is death. Diversity without unity is chaos. 
So let's first talk about his first point. Unity without diversity is death. And this only makes sense, right? The example that I'm thinking of is that if you have a church, if you have a body that is just built up of teachers, how long can that group exist and function the way that God would want them to function? Not very long. That group is going to die out. Why? You may have some really educated people, but there's nobody reaching out. There's nobody evangelizing. There's nobody helping. There's nobody exhorting. There's nobody exercising any of these other gifts. It's just a bunch of teachers gaining knowledge. And at some point, that group of people is going to no longer exist. Unity without diversity is death. The second thing that I want you to see, the second thing that I want you to see is diversity without unity is chaos. Now, can anyone think of an example in the Bible written by the same author to a, to a rough group of folks where one of the main problems was this whole idea of diversity of gifts without unity? Corinth, right? That Paul, as he's writing Corinth, we see these gifts are just on display. Many gifts. Um, I think there were practical gifts on display. I think there were spiritual gifts on display. And Paul had to write them and say, listen, your problem is not the gifts that are being uh, displayed among you. There's a diversity of gifts. That's going real well. The problem is your unity. You don't have a unity problem. Does anybody remember one of the things that Paul said? That they were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this one, I'm of that one. And Paul really just spends some time in that book hammering home that we are all united and we're united in Christ with one goal and one purpose and that is the glory of God. And so if we don't have unity, there's going to be a major, major error. So I want to... I wanna, take a little bit of an aside here, but I think it's an important aside, and it's, it's right within the context, but I want to I take some time and really point something out here, because I think when we talk about gifts in the church, there's a potential to, to uh, unconsciously err, and we un- unconsciously, sometimes I think we run over folks, or we leave certain folks out, and I want to make sure this morning that we don't do that. And so I want to drive home a big point uh, just right here in the middle of this sermon. And I want to start by asking the question, as Paul is talking about the various gifts and the diversity and the unity of these gifts, who, who is Paul addressing? It's, it's in verse 3. Paul says, I say to everyone. Now, I think he was talking to believers. And so when Paul was addressing the church at Rome, he is saying, I am talking to everyone among you. Now, why I think this is important is I think that there are... um, I I I think we run into some problems here. Sometimes I think when we talk about gifts and we talk about the church and we talk about giftedness, that the sermon really comes to and comes down to that we really pigeonhole who we're talking about and that is 30 to 65 year old people who are working and who are relatively well 
and whose gifts are more visual than others and that we kind of pigeonhole that. You understand what I mean by that? I've sat in a lot of sermons that's talking about gifts and I think intentionally we leave a lot of folks out when we're talking about that giftedness. And so I want to drive home and there's two categories of people that I want to really address this morning and make sure that I'm heard properly Uh, And one of the reasons I want to drive home this is that if I really believe this word that God is saying here, that that, that Paul is writing to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and if I really believe that these gifts are to everyone, then as a pastor, one of the things that I need to do is that if there are people that are pushed to the side or marginalized or in corners, maybe they put themselves in that corner, then it's vital that we bring them out because what God's Word is saying is that we need them. Does that make sense? And so I feel that it's proper to not let that happen. And so I've been really burdened this week to do this. And so the first group that I want to just really address and just say that we need you and we love you uh, and that that we pray for you and, and want you as part of this body and functioning in this body are those of you who, who may not be well. And when I say not well, I, that category is broad. I'm meaning people who may have some chronic physical conditions. That they're not able to be here and in our gathering that often. I'm also speaking to people who may have some emotional, uh, mental illnesses. Some people maybe that are crippled by anxiety or people who are crippled by uh, depression. When I mean not well, I'm also meaning people who are going through relational pain that just puts them uh, in deep despair at times. You see, one of the things that happens, church, is that when you go through deep pain, when you go through deep pain, a majority of your day is spent just trying to survive at times, and a lot of what you see is filtered through that pain, and it's hard to see beyond that. And so, church, one of the things that happens to these people who are not very well is sometimes they're isolated, and so sometimes we don't see them as much. And so one of the things, and I know this is some of you here, and it's some of you that are among us, is I want to tell you is that we need you. That I believe that God has gifted you in a way that helps us function better as a group. And you may say, Lewis, what, what in the world do you mean by that? Like how can, it, it, let's say you're in pain this morning, and you may say, well, well Lewis, how can, how can I help? And one of the things that I've heard somebody say, and I've grown to detest this statement, okay? There was a, a, a young man that I uh, was talking to years and years ago at a different place, and he said to me this, he said, Lewis, you know, I just feel like I'm a worthless part of the body. Um, I want to be a more active part of the body, but right now in my life, all I can do is pray. I said, don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say that. What I didn't mean, what I wasn't correcting him on, was that that was about all he could do. What I was correcting him on was, is there anything more vital in the life of the church than prayer? Than that what we're doing is undergirded by prayer? And so one of the things that I've seen is that people who aren't well physically or relationally or emotionally and mentally, that 
man, if they can be unleashed as prayer warriors, that sometimes the, the prayer that, that they lift up for us, I believe God uses that to do great and mighty things among us. And so I have many times over the years given people, um, we, we don't have to do this anymore, but physical copies of the church roll. Or there are specific people that I call sometimes when there are prayer requests that have been okayed to be shared publicly because I want these people knowing that we value the gift that God has given them. And at this time in their life, it's, it, it may be praying. And there's nothing more important. We need that. We need that. I've also known people who can't leave their home for one reason or another that are, are the ones that I get the emails from first. I'm really praying for this. If there's anything I can do or, you know, I've got this. If somebody can come pick it up at my house. And so, so one of the things that I want you to know is that if that's you, you've got a purpose. And if you're having a hard time figuring out what that purpose is and how you fit into our body life, please contact one of us and, and we would love to help with that. Another... Uh, well, and let me give you an example of what I mean by that, a personal example. Many of you know my mother has uh, Alzheimer's. Um, my dad uh, has pastored churches for 40 or 50 years. Um, and so they find themselves in a unique role uh, where my dad is not using the gifts that, once, uh, that he once used in preaching and in teaching. And my dad's a people person and uh, through this illness, it has limited the things that they do. And so one of the things that warmed my heart is that uh, they, they go to Silverdale. They go to the Saturday night service because it's hard for my mom to get up in the mornings. And uh, I run into the, the pastor, the guy that preaches there pretty often. And every time I see him, he hugs my neck. And he says, I'm so thankful that your mom and dad are here. Your dad is such an encourager to me. Your mom always gives me a word of encouragement uh, your mom and dad have, you know, talks about the things that they've given him and the support. And one of the things that I love about that is, you know, my mom is not well. There's a sickness that goes on, but they have looked at their, they've looked at what they do have, and they've said, okay, we may not be able to do this anymore, but that doesn't mean that we're not useful to the kingdom. And so, please, if you are in that position, pray, search uh, pray to the Lord of, of what your role could be. Come and talk to us and let us help you find a role for that. The other thing with that that I just want to say just real quickly, um, I'll go science on you for a little bit, but um, you know what all the research says that one of the greatest things for people who are suffering from depression and anxiety can do to help? Serve. Now, the world literature uses volunteer, serve. That God has wired us in such a way uh, that we need one another and that when we're using those gifts that we've been given in that way that I think it helps us. So the other group that I want to talk about real quickly, I can spend all my time here. The other group that I want to talk about real quickly um, is the two extremes in the ages. Many times I've seen what happens, and I'm going to give a practical example of this. There was a, he passed away two years ago. There was a man that I served with as an, as an elder at Crossroads. His name was John Boyer. And this man, you talk about service, this man just served. He was a master electrician, master plumber. 
at 72, he could outwork anybody in here. Uh, just a crazy work ethic. He loved people. He loved going, coming to your house and fixing things. Uh, he got cancer. Uh, he got some severe aches and pains. And I remember John telling me, uh, he, like I said, he passed away a year or two ago, telling me, I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not useful for the kingdom anymore. And so really spent time with John, pouring into him as a pastor some of the things that I saw in him that he didn't see in himself. He was a real encourager, so that. And then not only that, but when we, we had to remodel a building, and so uh, one of the things that John did is we, we took a young man, put him with John, and they did almost all the plumbing in this new building. And John, from a place of being a wise person who has seen it all, directed and used his gifts to pour into this young man. And this young man, if you ran into him today and asked him about John Boyer, would talk about what a blessing it was to be able to be around a man like that. So one of the things, if you're in the older end of that spectrum, there may be things that, that, that don't happen like they used to. Or there may be ways, and you may be searching for what your role is. And what I want you to know is that God has given you a gift and a purpose, and that we want you to utilize that here and among us. And the other one, which you heard me talk a lot about at family camp, is our younger folks. Many times when we're talking about gifts, the other group that we leave out is our young folks. And I believe with everything that's in me that God has gifted our young folks with gifts that are needed for the body. Hear me out there. I didn't say that God has given them gifts that they can only exercise in the youth group or in the fourth and fifth grade classrooms. I'm saying for the body. And I can't tell you how many times, me personally, that I have been blessed by a gift from one of our young folks. Whether it's a word of encouragement or whether uh, somebody has a, an idea that they've thought about, that they've come to me and shared. And it's just been amazing to see that. And so one of the things as we're talking about gifts is I want to make sure that we're, if we believe God's word, that we are as broad as the Bible is. And so when the Bible says that every one of you has gifts, every one of you has gifts for the church. All right getting off that soapbox onto another one. <laughs> the third thing about body life that is clear from this text is that it is full of humility. And if we read verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think more highly than you ought to think, but think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each of you a measure of faith. Now there is a ton here. And just quickly... Just quickly, what, God, what Paul is saying here is that when you evaluate yourself, you're not to look at yourself and to think how great you are, but you're to see yourself as God sees you. You're to see yourself in relation to the body. You're to see yourself as humility in the service of God. And if we had time, and I'll real briefly do it, the, the, the connection between last week and this week is this. If you have given yourself fully to God in service, which is your spiritual act of worship, then what you have done is that you are giving yourself fully to God, which means you're fully giving yourself to the church, which means you're fully giving yourself to the community, which means we're fully giving ourselves to one another. Don't think too highly of yourself, but think soberly. Think with sound 
judgment. And what I love about this, what I love about this is that Paul uses himself as an example, and it's a little tricky, but it's, it's just right there, it's clear. Notice this, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, what is Paul doing by writing this letter to the church at Rome? Paul is exercising his gifts in writing this letter to the church at Rome, and he includes himself in this body, in this group of people, and he's saying, I'm doing this, and did he say, I'm doing this by my skill set, by my achievements? No, it's by the grace given to me. And his next exhortation is, don't think too highly of yourself. Now, if anybody could have thought highly of himself and we would have said justified, it probably would have been Paul. Think about it. He was one of twelve. God knocked him off his horse to save him. Paul looks at that and it keeps him humble. We could have said, man, God really needed Paul. He knocked him off his horse. No, what Paul is saying is that as we exercise our gifts, the key mark of that is humility. Don't rise to a place to where you look at yourself and the gifts that God has given you in a place where you are prideful or else the whole thing will topple. Notice also that the, the very word for the thing that we are to exercise among one another is gift. That means there is something that has been given to you and not earned. So, so do this humbly. Now lastly, lastly and most controversially, um, my wording here is that this us, us giving of ourselves to one another, us exercising our gifts, us being what we are to be with one another is to be fueled by faith. Fueled by faith. Notice in verses 3 and verse 6, there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this phrase. For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment, God has allotted to, to, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Look again in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, notice this, according to the proportion of his faith. Now I want to say a couple of things about this. One is that because we are to operate, to use our gifts according to the faith given to us, then what this means is that you, you can't chicken out. You can't chicken out by saying, I'm not blank, bold, courageous, creative, whatever word you want to put there, because the condition for you exercising that gift is it's by faith. God not only gives you the gift, but God gives you the faith to step out and to do that. And so one of the things that is difficult, this doesn't mean that we sit in a room after the service and we just muster up faith to go do what God would have us to do, what it means is, is that we act trusting God that He's going to be the source and supply of the gift that we are given. Faith denotes action. So if, if, if I'm uh, am given the gift of encouragement, and I feel like that, uh, that, that I need to... 
uh, uh, come to Charlie and just encourage him, that my job is to act on that and to believe that God will give me the, the, the faith and the measure to open up my mouth and say to Charlie what I need to say to Charlie. The other thing that this does not mean, and it's the other side of this coin, is that you're completely acting in your own strength. What I mean by that is this. We're given this list, uh, and it's not an exhaustive list here at the, at the end of this section of service and exhortation and teaching. Uh, I think that Paul is just giving us some examples. But what I want to say to you is this. Is it possible, is it possible to, and I'm going to use an, an area that's, that's most commonly associated with my role, is it possible to teach or to have a time of exhortation, is it possible to do that without faith? Sure it is. Sure it is. There are many people, I'm, I'm guilty of it, who have written a sermon or who have written a lesson uh, and to, to exercise that gift in the church and they do it without faith. They do it just based on their own natural giftedness. And you say, well, okay, well, Lewis, well, what do you mean by faith in that? Well, what I'm meaning by that is this. As we prepare in that instance, I'm going to use my own instance in, in exhortation. As I prepare, am I praying? Am I asking God to give me the faith to communicate what He wants me to communicate? Am I asking God to give me the faith and the courage to see in the text what He wants me to see? Am I asking God, am I asking God, as I look at a sermon, prepare a sermon, and, and, and feel this is what the Lord would have me say, I'm also asking God to do the work. I can't make you a, a more active, functioning member of the body. And so exercising this gift by faith, part of that process for me is by admitting that to God over and over during the weeks that I preach of, God, I can't do any of this, but you can. So that as I get up here to preach, hopefully I'm doing that by faith, by dependence upon the work of God and the Holy Spirit. So, there is a question in, in, uh, 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 that a lot of commentators and sermons have been written on uh, and I'm going to just treat it real easily and hopefully not too flippantly but this whole idea of well what does it mean that we're to do that in the allotted measure of faith that you've been given and what I think it means is just that look at verse four, look at chapter 14 verse 1 Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purposes of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he's also weak and only eats vegetables. And then it goes into talking about things. But notice in the first verse there it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. Now what does that mean if it does not mean that at different times in our life our faith is stronger and weaker? And if we are all honest, we would all say, yes, I experienced that in my life. There are times when my faith is stronger and weaker. 
So why in the world would God do it this way? And I'm going to tell you why I think God does it this way. And one of the sweetest times in my ministry um, is we, we would have a, a, one of the churches that, that I attended for a while, we would have this really small group gathering on Wednesday evenings. And um, there was a lot of sharing during the prayer time and we would pray for one another. And I can't tell you how many times I walked into that meeting and my faith was low, and somebody else was walking into that meeting, and God had met with them that week, and as I met together with them, it bolstered my faith. can't tell you how many times I did that. Or the other one was hearing, we, we had some dear, dear folks in that gathering that were older, and they would tell stories of God's faithfulness in their life over the years, and as a, as a 20-something-year-old, man, that just did a lot for me. And so what I think, one of the reasons God does this is that if we want our faith to be bolstered, if we want to be encouraged in our faith, we've got to be meeting together. Because this morning, some of you may have more faith than the person next to you. And as we're exercising those gifts, don't do it in the flesh, but do it in the measure of the faith that God has given you and encourage one another and build one another up. Now, now, Practically. Practically. I I think when we look at our body life, when we look at one another, one of the things that we've got to do is that we've got to be a place that encourages one another to use the gifts that God has given you. And we've got to become a place where we celebrate the gifts that are here among us, not just tolerate them. And some of you type A'ers just got a sting, right? (laughs) I think what a lot of us do sometimes is that we look at our own giftedness and we don't don't understand some other people's giftedness. A a big area of this is that those who have the gift of mercy, um, sometimes people who don't have that gift are like, would you just tell them to stop it? Like you're being all merciful and crying with them and you just need to tell them to stop it. Well, no. The Bible also says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, and we are real quickly want to come in and say, oh yeah, but that mercy person, they need to know that there is truth. And we, we get, that's why we need each other. But if we have the viewpoint that all these gifts are essential to a functioning body, then all of a sudden what we do is when we see that person who has a different gift than us, maybe the gift of mercy, then if, if we can switch in our brains that we are to celebrate that and be thankful for that and that that's needed in our body and it's needed by me, all of a sudden we don't just tolerate things, we become to celebrate things. And we've got to get there as a body. I see us doing this really well, but we've got to continue to do this. And so, as, as I end, I just want to throw a, a bone to this. Uh, but one of the places that this happens most naturally is in our growth groups. One of, the, one of the ways that this happens, should happen most naturally, is in our growth groups. Think about it. Some people are opening up their homes. They're, they're just hospitable. Um, That's a gift that the Bible talks about quite a bit. Uh, You may have somebody in the group that 
is, is, is just somebody who is just giving. And so they hear of a need, and they're just giving, 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 giving. We need to celebrate these gifts. And I think the growth group is a natural place to do that. But I think also as a church, also as a church, we need to also understand that we're all in process. That we're all in uh, this process of we're not who we are, but hopefully we're becoming more like who we're supposed to be. And so we, we cut each other a little slack, but we celebrate those gifts together and that we encourage those who maybe aren't using those gifts to do that. And that's a hard one for me. Um, and it's a hard one, I think, for us as a church, for every church that I've been a part of has struggled with this. Meaning that when we do the new members class, we ask you to list your giftedness, and, uh, and it's hard. Then you say, okay, well, you know, Casey said she's gifted at this. Do we make her do that, or do we just ask? And then we don't ask, and then we find out that she would have really been liking to do that, but didn't feel like she could speak up because somebody else may be doing that. Ugh, it's hard. So all I'm asking you is, be patient. We're trying. Use your giftedness. Use your giftedness. We need you. If you have a gift and you don't know how it can be used, contact us. We have a wonderful staff here that's been really good at trying to help you use your gifts. But what I want to end with is this. We will never be what God designed us to be unless we're full of humility, unless we're fueled by faith, and that we're using our gifts for the benefit of others. Let's pray.